Turn with me to John chapter 15. Got some sort of an alarm going on. I thought it was a backing up van, but that's an alarm. (laughs) Well, thankfully it stopped. All right, turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to be reading the end of the chapter, starting in verse 18. And we're in the middle of... Well, there it goes again. Better to acknowledge it, right? (laughs) No, I don't think it's a tornado warning. I don't think it's a bomb going off either. Hopefully it's not set on every two minutes for the next hour, right? <clears throat> if I just had a... Yeah, maybe I should use the microphone. I can speak over it, right? Does that help? All right, I'll use the microphone. Okay, I'm coming again. John chapter 15 is in the middle of Jesus encouraging his disciples to stand firm, even as he is about to die. And he's telling them some of the things that they're going to face. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Well, I guess uh, maybe we maybe we'll see officers today anyway. So Jesus is Jesus is warning his disciples of what they're going to face, and uh, and one of the things that he's saying is that the world is going to hate them. Please stand as we read here, starting in verse. 18 of John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. Thank you. Verse 22 says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. And this verse is speaking of the rejection of the Word of God spoken by Jesus Christ among the Jews. And this is uh, this and verse 24. Let's read verse 24 too. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. Both of those can be seen as problematic verses, right? What sounds problematic about them? Well, taken out of context, they might be considered uh, opposing the Christian teaching on hell. Sin, original sin, total depravity, and more, right? That if, what does it say, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. And it's tempting for us to take those verses out of context, actually. The verses are not problematic. God's word is not problematic. God's word is faithful and true. And we'll see this as we we go into this passage further, that, uh, that really these verses are not a problem for us, right? And I want to spend some time this morning actually focusing on that because I think that it is a common a common thing not just for us to expect um, attacks on the word, but also for us to then begin to be tempted ourselves to doubt what we're reading. And we're not doing ourselves any favors if when we come to difficult sections of Scripture or things that seem hard or contradictory to us, if we just close our eyes a little bit and jump right over them and keep going as though they don't exist, right? Because that is to implicitly say, yeah, actually, I don't think that the Word of God is good. I don't think that the Word of God is true. I don't think that it can be understood. I think that it is problematic self-evidently, but I don't want to think about that, so I'm just going to pretend like I have faith and skip right over it. But that's not faith, you understand? It's not faith to ignore these things and say, well, I don't know what it's talking about, so I'm just going to move on. And one of the reasons that it's tempting to us is because in this particular case, the doctrines that are being attacked, uh, such as hell and sin, total depravity and so forth, um, we don't like those doctrines either. 
they're, they're generally hard. We, even if we think that they're true, we don't like trying to defend them. And so then if somebody were to bring up this verse and say, see, there's no such thing as original sin, or see, there's no such thing as, uh, there can't be any such thing as hell, or at least most people aren't going there, right? The moment you hear that sort of thing and they quote the Bible at you, it can be very tempting to just be to just sort of roll over and be like, well, I don't know, you know, I mean, sort of, kind of, I don't think that. And, and that'd be all the more that we know what to say. Well, that's not being ready to give an account for the hope that is within us, is it? That's sort of saying, well, I, my hope is pretty pathetic. I don't really have much hope. And so I don't really have much to say. And so, as we look at the doctrines that are hard, and then we come to verses like this that people are inclined to take out of context and misquote so that they mean things they don't mean, it's tempting. But it's also tempting to us as an excuse if we are engaged in sin and if we are looking for a way to justify it. When you yourself are caught in sin, when you yourself are given over to whatever sort of sin is uh, wrapping around your legs, tempting you, causing you to stumble... then these sorts of attacks meet with a desire that's already in your heart to have some sort of way out from feeling guilty. Right? So it's not just that there are people out there who reject the word entirely, who then we don't really want to have an argument with and we don't really want to have to defend what we believe, right? We don't, have to really, we don't really want to have to teach them and show them what the Word says because that would be hard and, and it would be offensive to them. It's also that then it meets with the things that are already in us that make us want to say, well, yeah, sin's not as bad as all of that. Right? And so... It is not uncommon both inside and outside the church to hear the charge that everyone twists Scripture to mean what they want it to mean. Right? Everyone twists Scripture to just, you know, you can get it to say anything you want. And in fact, given the wickedness of man, that is true. You, you really can through deception and through selective uh, reasoning and through, uh, through empty philosophies, you can pretty well make the Bible say anything you want. I remember my dad said one time, well, sure, you know, I could probably make a good case that the Bible requires that church walls always be painted black. Throw a little bit of extra reasoning in there and a couple of quotes from the right places and, 
you, you may be able to justify pretty much anything and claim that it's biblical, right? But here's the thing. Does that make it actually what the Bible says? No. <laughs> and the Bible actually acknowledges this problem and gives the answer. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. In Romans 3, 4, Paul's writing and he says, Let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. Well, what is God being found true? Well, it's his word, right? His word is true, even if every man is twisting it to meet his own desires and his own needs. Even if every man is lying, and we all recognize that we ourselves do that on a, on a regular basis in areas that we want to, right? God's word is true even when we are twisting it. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that we have no excuse for ignoring it. Even if somebody is twisting the Bible, and somebody else is twisting the Bible, and so is so-and-so, and so is the other person, right? Why is that always raised as an objection? Well, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And, you know, they say this, and the Catholics say that, and so-and-so says the other, and you listen to him on TV, and he says that. And inevitably, when you hear that sort of thing, what is the point? The point is to say, therefore, I cannot know what the Bible says. Therefore, I have no responsibility for what it says. I have no necessity of obeying. I cannot be expected to obey it if people are saying it means different things, right? But what the Bible says is, the word of God is true, God is proven true, though every man is proven to be a liar. And so, even if every man is lying, we are still required to obey his word, aren't we? But this verse, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. It's not problematic. It's not actually even hard to understand. Okay? Jesus is speaking of the guilt of this particular sin, of rejecting the Messiah and hating him. You see, if he hadn't come, then he would not they then they would not have the guilt of having rejected him who had come there were all sorts of there were all sorts of people who had the word of god in the old testament right and we know that not all israel was israel not all of those who had heard the word not all of those who were called by the name of the lord the people of god right were actually saved God said, Jacob, I have loved, and Esau, I have hated. Right? So not all Israel is Israel. And what does this mean? Well, 
It means that some Jews did not put their hope in the Messiah, the one who was to come, and ended up being condemned and going to hell. That's what it means. But what does that mean for this verse? Well, all of those people who died prior to Christ arriving, who hadn't put their hope in the Messiah, they're guilty. They're not forgiven. Their sins were not atoned for. But they don't have the sin also of having seen Jesus come, hearing him preach, seeing his miracles, and then hating him. Right? And that is such an infinitely worse sin. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. So it's especially speaking, this verse is especially speaking of those who had the most opportunity to repent and yet refused to. Even as Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, right? Thomas got to sit there and see Jesus' body and his, the, 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 the holes in his hands and the hole in his side, right? And he was blessed for believing. And yet, how much more so those who believe without having seen? Right? Well, this is exactly the inverse of that. Damned are those who do not believe, but how much more so those who have seen and yet do not believe? Do you see? And we're so convinced that we understand fair better than anybody else, better than God even, that the moment we start talking about there being a difference between those who have seen and those who have not seen, those who have heard and those who have not heard, and the guilt and the, and the, the condemnation and especially the promise of hell for those who do not believe and who have not heard, right? Then immediately our not fair flag pops up. Whoa, 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 that's not fair. And we start wanting to throw out these, we start wanting to throw out these examples of, well, but what about the person who, right? Well, but what about the person who, uh, and I think the best one I've ever heard was, you know, what about the person who was a Jew, okay, who, um, who was looking forward to the Savior and was stranded on a desert island thousands of miles away with his wife and they kept having kids and they're all still today looking forward to the Savior that will come. Well, what about them? They've never heard, right? They don't know about Jesus. Okay, well, what's going on here? 
we're, we're looking, we're, we're, we're grasping desperately at straws, we're, de- we're grasping desperately for some sort of example that will show us that really there isn't condemnation for those who haven't heard, right? Isn't that what we, we, we just want, we just want there to be some sort of, now, now God is fair, isn't he? According to my definition of fair, he is fair, isn't he? And so we are tempted to try to resolve the problem by adjusting God's word. By making little modifications here and there. That can happen different ways. You can be an annihilationist. What's an annihilationist? Someone who believes not in hell, but that in the end, people who have rejected God simply cease to exist. They're annihilated, right? Have you guys heard of this? It's pretty common. It's more common as, as the time goes on and as we get further away from the doctrines of hell and judgment. But I think more common than being an annihilationist is just being slippery and never answering questions directly about who's going to heaven and hell. Okay, now what do I mean by never answering directly? I mean, when somebody asks you, well, do you believe that homosexuals are going to hell? Say, well, you know, I'm not the one who gets to decide whether people get into heaven or hell or not. That's, that's a decision that God makes, right? Well, is that true? Is that a decision that God makes and not that you make? Yes, absolutely. That's true, right? We, we're not the ones who decide. And then, and then we'll say, and, and you know, I can't, who am I to say anything about what that person's heart is? I, I don't know anything about that person's heart. But are we talking about a particular person? Are we talking about someone who you could look into their heart or who God could look into their heart? No, we're talking about a general category, aren't we? A category of person who has given themselves over to sin. And what does God say? Is he clear? God is clear, isn't he? He says that the sodomite will go to hell. He also says that the greedy will go to hell. He also says that anybody who has broken his law in one little place will go to hell. Apart from what? Repentance. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, everybody will go to hell. And does that sound fair to us? Does it sound like a good default to you? For those of you who are programmers, you start with default states sometimes, you know? It's like, all right, let's start with, if anything, if anything problematic happens, the whole computer will blow up. Is that a good default state? No, it's a terrible default state. But so we look at, we look at what, what God says that the default state is condemnation and hell apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, 
right? And we think, well, that's not a fair default. It shouldn't start that way. It should start with you're automatically going to heaven until and unless you actually do something bad. And bad enough, really, that you are going to, you know, that everybody's going to agree, well, you're just a bad person. Isn't that how we would prefer that everything start? Isn't that the default that we would like? Isn't that what we would call more fair? Don't be slippery. Don't be scared either in your answers. The most loving thing you can do for somebody who asks you the question, well, so do you believe that homosexuals are going to hell, is to say, yes, because that's what God said. God said it, and I believe it. And you need to believe it too. And then you may have an amazing conversation. Or you may just have someone mad and walk away. Right? Or or anything in between. You may just have someone mad and walk away who comes back to you five years later and says, I want to talk about that again. Don't be slippery. Answer questions clearly and directly that you know the answer to. And this answer about hell... All of, the, all of these questions about hell, they are, they're the scariest, they're some of the scariest questions to answer, aren't they? You have someone who is talking about someone particular. Well, so, did my mom, my mom just died last month. Did, did she go to hell? And then what do you say? Well, you, then you say, well, I don't know. <laughs> right? You do say, I don't know, because you're talking about a particular person, but then you, you don't follow that up with, and there's no way for us to even guess. I can, and then I don't have to worry about what you feel like, right? No, then you speak of what you know about that person, right? Certainly, God has been known, even in the final minutes of one's life, to save their souls, And yet, in many, many people, we see no hope. We see no evidence that any such thing took place, right? And are we willing to say that about people? That they died up to the last minute rejecting the good news. And that those who reject the good news receive the condemnation that is due their wicked deeds and burn in hell. This is not annihilationism. This is the word of God.
Hebrews, 12, Hebrews 10, 28 and 29 says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? This verse agrees perfectly with our verse, doesn't it? How much severer punishment for those whom Jesus spoke to, who heard his words, to those who saw his deeds and rejected them. How much severer punishment. Or Romans 2.12 says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And so what do we see here? Well, we see that these verses, verses 22 and 24, do actually help us understand God's justice. And they are actually a help to us in, in, in getting fairness correctly in our own minds. The truth is that God does not fault people for what they do not know what they have not heard, what they have not seen, they are not faulted for rejecting. Okay? Luke 12, 47 and 48, it says, And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Augustine says of this that the diversity of punishments is as great as the diversity of sins. But the mode thereof, which means how it happens right, what, what those punishments look like, is accounted too deep by divine wisdom for human guessing to scrutinize or express. In other words, obviously Dante's Inferno hadn't been written yet, right? Dante tried to, Dante tried to express what that punishment would look like for all the various different sins, and it's actually, it, can, it can actually be somewhat helpful for you to look at it and see, understand sin better, right? But what Augustine is saying is, yeah, look, there's different punishments. It's clear that the guilt rests heavier and lighter depending on what you know, right? And we do see this in this passage when it says that if... I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. It does mean that their guilt would be less. But listen, listen very carefully, because there's another temptation here 
For us to say, well, it's better off than that they never hear. It's better off than, if this is the result, if their guilt is increased, then shouldn't, and, and they're not going to believe anyway, then shouldn't we, just never, shouldn't we just never tell them? But of course, that is to leave them without any hope, right? It is not the proclaiming of the word of God. It is not the word of God that makes them more guilty. It is their own rejection in the, in the moment of having heard that word that makes them more guilty, right? In other words, the guilt attaches still to their rejection. But God does not fault people for what they do not know. Now, immediately when I say that, I know some of you are like, wait a minute, but what, then what about all these people who haven't heard, right? Well, it's very similar. <clears throat> it's very similar uh, to verse 21. Back up one verse, and it says, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Okay, so, so Jesus just got done saying that they do not know God. And then verse 23, what does he say? He who hates me hates my father also. So is it possible to hate something you don't know? Apparently. <laughs> if we don't know God, and yet we hate his son, we hate him. So what does this teach us? Well, what it shows us is that what we know is more than what we know. They do not know God, and yet they know who God is. And how do they know who God is? Well, his invisible attributes, right? All of creation is declaring who God is, and yet they do not know God. But why do they not know God? Because they have seen, and they hate, and they reject. Now, does that make any sense? Does it make any sense for them to hate God when they look out and they see trees, and they see sunrise, and they see the sunset, and they see the moon, and they see the stars, and they see the cells, and they look in a microscope, and they see all of these things. You see all those things, and what should our reaction be? It should be to glorify God, right? Does it make any sense to hate him when you see those things? No. Does it make any more sense to hate them having seen Jesus? No. And yet in both cases, they've hated, haven't they? They've hated the Father. Their own hatred of God and his word and his works blinds them from seeing and knowing what they ought to know. They are still guilty. 
They're guilty because even though they don't know God, they should know God. And the more we tell them about God, the more they should know God. Jesus came and taught them. Jesus did works before them. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did. Can you imagine seeing Jesus, hearing him teach? They they could find no fault whatsoever with his teaching, could they? Even when they tried desperately to trap him in what he said, they couldn't find any fault with what he taught. And what of his deeds? How are they going to fault his deeds? They're not, they can't. He's healing people, casting out demons, bringing, Zac, bringing people like Zacchaeus into the kingdom, bringing repentance among the prostitutes, bringing people back to life, and yet they hate him. And there's no cause. Now, the moment I say there's no cause, you can think of reasons why they hated Jesus and what he said, right? Or what he did. Well, he also drove them out of the temple with a bullwhip. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's reason to hate, right? And yet, even as they asked under what authority he did it, everybody saw that it's what needed to happen, didn't they? didn't they? They all knew that what was going on in the temple was evil and needed to be stopped. And even as he said nasty things about them, like, woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, woe to you, right? They all saw the truth of what he was saying. So in other words, You're going to be hated without cause, just like he was hated without cause, if you speak the words that he speaks and if you do the deeds that he does. Do you understand? And it will be without cause, without cause, even though you know exactly why they hate you. (laughs) The moment you you think that it's reasonable for them to hate you for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are also saying that it is reasonable for them to hate and deny Jesus Christ and unreasonable for God to condemn them to hell. It's not reasonable. They have no right to hate you. They have no right to hate God's word. They have no right to hate God's deeds. He had done works before them that were self-evidently good. And they are guilty for hating him. His word continues down to this day to be proclaimed by his people. His works continue to be performed by his people. And his work continues to be done by himself in establishing and building up his church. Is there anything as amazing and miraculous as the growth of Christ's church down through history? 
There's nothing like it. What a work. And the world looks on it and they hate it. Don't they? And so if they had not seen the church of Jesus Christ being built, they would have no guilt. They would have no sin. If they had not heard the words of God being proclaimed by his people, they would not have sin. But their unbelief, their rejection of his work and of his words continues down to this day. And so they bear their guilt. Let's pray.